Hey everyone, it's time for the Down in the Valley podcast. My name is Todd Golden, Indiana State beat writer and sports editor for the Terre Haute Tribune Star. We're up to episode 23, St. Louis, the day after. And uh, I'm recording this uh, early morning on uh, Wednesday, December 16th, hence the day after. It'll be published on TribStar.com the day after. And just to remind you, I went over this, the podcast, last week, but Down in the Valley is going to be handled a little bit differently this year. Um, In the past couple years, I'd written a Down in the Valley after each game. This year, for midweek games, I'm going to be doing a podcast, a day-after podcast, and after the first game of the two-game Valley Conference series that will be coming up pretty soon. Um, And then I'll do a a once-a-week week-in-review Down in the Valley after the last of the two conference games. So multimedia experiences here, you're gonna have to get used to the sound of my voice. It's probably a little weird. I'm actually recording this in a hotel for night games. Um, St. Louis, not a terribly long drive from Terre Haute, but it's long enough and I have quite a bit of work to do after games. So I decided to stay over here tonight. Um, and uh, I'll be handling ISU football signing day tomorrow as well before I leave. So interesting trip to St. Louis for me. Um, so so if my voice is a little muted, that's why I'm trying not to get uh, in trouble with the uh, front desk or any guests or anything like that. So, so I'm, I'm in quiet storm voice mode right now. But anyway, uh, the game that... Uh, Indiana State played tonight, came over here to St. Louis against a very talented Billikens team who's now 5-0 after a 78-59 victory over Indiana State. And uh, the Billikens looked every bit the part of a team that is just outside the top 25 in the, uh, in the uh, college basketball polls. Um, a rough game from the start. Uh, first of all, St. Louis is one of the best offensive teams in the country. They are were coming into the game last night. They were 11th in scoring. They had not failed to score 80 points in any single game yet this season. If you want to call it a victory that ISU held slew to 78, go ahead, but it didn't feel like one, and it certainly didn't play out like one as the game went along. Uh, it was a rough start. Um, St. Louis's offense, which obviously when you have such a high-octane offense, the goal... Um, Indiana State's part was to try to keep them from getting into rhythm. Well, it was pretty much the opposite of that. St. Louis got off to a great start. Indiana State got off to a pretty poor start. Um, And after about the first media timeout or so is when St. Louis really got cranking. Ultimately built their lead up to 27 to 11. And it was just, on both ends of the floor, it was pretty rough for for the Sycamores. Uh, Offensively, Jake LaRavia, and I'll get to talking about him in a moment, but he he was himself. He was playing pretty well at the beginning. Um, Had three field goals. Unfortunately, nobody else on Indiana State had any field goals up until I think Tyreek Key hit a bucket at like the six-minute mark thereabouts. Uh, The rest of the team, apart from LaRavia, was 0 for 11 from the field until Key hit that shot. I mean, I don't care who you're playing, offensive fire you know, that whether a team has the offensive firepower of SLU or not, uh, you're not going to do very well with that uh, level of imbalance in your offense. And it was compounded by, um, you know, pretty mediocre to poor effort on the defensive end. Um, 
And, you know, I'm, I'm grading to some degree on a curve. I mean, obviously, as I mentioned, SLU is a very good offensive team. Um, but they were made better by some ISU defensive mistakes tonight. Basically what the Billikens were doing, or what they do, is they spread um, most of their, their guards and even a few of their bigs out four wide on the perimeter, spreads the defense out, they run a pick and roll at the top of the key. And off that pick and roll action, they can do a number of things, and they were able to do most of them tonight, unfortunately, for the Sycamores. I mean, you can do a pick and roll, just roll it to the guy who, you know, the pick and the roll, obviously. And they got some mileage out of that because ISU was late to to recover on the, off the roll. Uh, so guys like um, <clears throat> Hassan French was able to get some mileage out of that. Um, you can have the, the roller draw, the help defense, and they were able to kick it out to one of their capable shooters. St. Louis was 6 of 16 from three-point range, which isn't, you know, white hot, but it's, it was effective enough. And and then if ISU was able to defend the roll, if they kicked the ball inside, uh, they just simply kicked it out to the perimeter for some, uh, um, some good open shots. So it wasn't... There was one period in the last five minutes of the first half where Indiana State defended it pretty well and consequently got back into the game. Um, ISU's biggest, you know, they were down 27 to 11 was their peak uh, deficit in the first half at the nadir of both their offensive and defensive woes. And then they basically fixed it. I mean, they were, first of all, they were getting offenses out of more than one option. Trey Williams heated up a little bit in that stretch as well, in addition to uh, Tyreek Key for a brief period. And Tyreek was able to get to the line tonight, which is something he hasn't been doing. He uh, shot nine free throws tonight, made all of them. Um, and ISU actually got their deficit down to, um, I believe it was seven at halftime. And things were looking pretty good. I mean, they had to feel pretty, it was, yeah, 35 to 28 at the half. And given how poorly most of that half went, that was actually kind of a victory for uh, the Sycamores. <clears throat> Unfortunately, it didn't last. And it turned out to be a little bit of a mirage um, as we mentioned, LaRavia, um, turned out, I was not at practice yesterday, uh, but he sprained his ankle during, uh, practice yesterday. And Greg Lansing told me after the game, there was some question as to whether he'd even play him. Uh, LaRavia is going to play if he can attempt to play. We know that based on some of the games he had last year, late in the season, playing with a bad back at Arch Madness, um, and in the last week or two of of last season. He's a gamer. He's going to go. He was a competitor and he did go tonight. And at times he looked like the best player or he was the best player on the floor for Indiana state, despite the ankle injury, but he tweaked it on the very first possession of the second half. Looked like he, um, he was on the opposite floor side of the floor for me. You may have seen it better on TV through replay. Unfortunately, I don't have the benefit of replay. Um, or I didn't last night, but um, I don't know if he stepped on somebody or just took a bad step. It looked to me like he just took a bad step. But anyway, you could see it was bugging him. He was upset about it uh, when he came off the floor to be treated. Uh, walked it off. He actually came back briefly. But um, unfortunately, when he was off the floor, and it wasn't just due to Jake being off the floor, but it coincided with another drought for the Sycamores and Slew. Went on a little bit of a run before the first media timeout. I think it was back to maybe 12 or 13 point lead by the time LaRavia returned. And by then, 
<clears throat> it was pretty much over. Laravia picked up his fourth foul not too long after that, and ISU just called it a night on him, and ISU just wasn't able to generate enough offense to really make a push. I think the closest they got once it got up around 15 was 12 the rest of the way. So um, SLU showed their class tonight. They're, they're a good team. Um, Jordan Goodwin had 22 points and 11 rebounds, was just, I mean, as those numbers indicate, was extremely active all night long. Uh, you know, Javante Perkins is actually their leading scorer, and he was good, 7 for 12 from the field, 18 points. Um, Hassan French, their forward, was uh, a force in the middle that time. Yuri Collins, a sophomore guard, had, tw- had 10 assists. Uh, overall, SLU had 21 assists, which is a nice total for them. Um, I mean, SLU shot 50% in the first half, 63% in the second half. Um, the only thing that slowed them down, and I'm being generous here, is they had some turnovers at times, but, I mean, they only had 12, so it wasn't that many. So just, uh, you know, ISU wasn't able to stop a very powerful offense. So, um, you know, I, I suppose... You give SLU most of the credit for that, but they got some help. Indiana State's defense wasn't very good. As far as the Sycamores were concerned, some individual totals. Uh, Tyreek Key had 16. Like I said, he went to the line nine times, which it's good that because uh, Tyreek had not gone to the line at all um, in the first two games of the season, so it was good to see him back uh, at a place where he can really generate some points. Uh, he also had four assists. Uh, Trey Williams, once he got into a flow, he was fine. I mean, he was 5 for 7 from the field, 12 points, 5 rebounds. Um, But there were significant stretches where he was uh, not really much of a factor. Uh, LaRavia, 10 points, 6 rebounds in 17 minutes. So, I mean, his energy was evident. Cooper Neese, after a really good game up at Purdue on Saturday, was... um, not really a factor offensively. He had six points on two three-pointers, but they were both in the second half well after the game was out of hand. Then you get to that. After that, Tobias Howard Jr. had six points. Some of his points were late as well. I mean, nobody else was really a factor in this game offensively. Um, Randy Miller only had one point. Julian Larry had two. Uh, Nongo now didn't score. Uh, Kobe Barnes had four points, had a couple stretches in there where Kobe, who who played basically for LaRavia when he was out, uh, showed some flashes, but, I mean, he was one for five from the field, so some good, some bad there from him. Um, Jared Hankins played a little bit. Looks like he's going to be good at drawing fouls on his three-point shots. He did it again um, against Lou, but, but overall, this was not ISU's offense at its best, and uh, they shot 34% in the first half, 37 in the second. Um, never really got going from three-point range at all. They did make six, but they were six of 22. Um, ISU was out-rebounded 39 to 26. Uh, just not a whole lot. You know, if you're looking for silver linings here, you know, apart from the effort that LaRavia gave, it's kind of few and far between. ISU never led in the game. Um, points in the paint, 48 to 18 for the Billikens. That's rough. After especially after Purdue did the same thing to Indiana State. Although with Purdue, you expect it because they, you know, they they have those. You know, they have a 7-4 center and a 6-10 uh, power forward. That's you know going to be hard not to have points in the paint. But you know, so 
So where do you put this in terms of the season? Well, when I asked Greg Lansing about it after the game, the one thing, and I'll have a story about this in my follow-up story um, for, it'll be on the web on Wednesday, it'll be in Thursday's paper. The problem with these 8 o'clock games is, is with our deadline, I can basically get the just the facts, bam, story into, into the paper, and then I kind of rewrite it for the web, and then I write it again for second day uh, publication, uh, if you ever wondered how that worked. But um, in my second day story, um, I talked to Greg, and he said, you know, this team is still trying to figure each other out, which sounds excusey, you know, at first. Like, if this were a normal season, um, especially with all the practice time that teams get when things are normal, um, that wouldn't really fly, I don't think. However, we know things aren't normal, and things haven't been normal, and ISU has had their time together basically limited. They have not had that usual growth period that teams get to get to know one another, and not just, on, you know, mainly on the floor, not necessarily off the floor, although there's probably some limited um, engagement in terms of that as well. So I think there's some validity to what he says, and, and when you watch the team, and one of the benefits of watching the team in person, I think, I don't know, maybe this shows up on TV as well, but you can see some of that in the body language um, of the way the players are when they're, when they're on the floor. Now, I want to be really careful because it's dangerous for people who aren't playing the game to try to ascertain body language. It's one of those things like you think you, you see what you see, but maybe, you know, it's an illusion. By that I mean... You know, you look at some players who may look like they're not giving much effort, and they might be giving, for all you know, 100% effort. Um, they just don't demonstratively show it. So I always want to be careful about interpreting body language because that's just a dangerous thing to do, and it's something that people do sometimes, frankly, to make themselves sound smart. And you know me, me I'm, you know, I'm. my opinions are no more valid than anybody else's. Is I'm just lucky enough to be able to express them but watching the game tonight uh, from my vantage point, and I noticed this a little bit too in the Truman State game, not so much the Purdue game because ISU started well, but there's different levels of decisiveness going on among the players on the floor. Players are playing at different speeds, and I'll use the Ravia as the first example. Jake comes out there and he's flying out of the box. Now it looks like it's maximum effort, and it is. Uh, Jake but he knows what he's doing he has experience he knows this offense he knows what how he fits into it he knows he wants to be um, you know he wants to be the guy on this team and he goes out there and plays like it plays very confident um, plays you know I'm trying to think of the best way to put this like he has the ability to boss the game and so you see that, and you look, you watch LaRavia just flying all over the place, and he's playing at a speed that suggests confidence in what, his, what he's doing and what his role is. I don't see that same level of decisiveness out of the other players right now, and some of them you can understand, and some of them need to get better. Um, Tyreek Key finally gets to the line tonight, and he was assertive um, at times tonight and at Purdue, um, you know, but at his stage of the game, should he be showing a little bit more decisiveness, a little bit more um, 
I want to I want to stay away from the word effort because that's not what I mean. But, um, you know, should he be taking the bull by the horns a little bit more? I mean, maybe. I mean, he had a four point game uh, a week ago, which I mean, IC won that game easily, so it didn't really matter. But, um, you know, you want to see that out of him. I, the other players, you know, clearly are waiting for to see where they fit in the scheme of everything, like where they fall in behind uh, LaRavia and Tyreek Key. Um, you know, Cooper Nice took the bull by the horns against Purdue the other night, um, but then wasn't really all that much of a factor on Tuesday. So I'm not sure where you place that. Trey Williams has been very assertive, um, much like LaRavia, because I think he knows his role, what he needs to do. He just needs to go down there and uh, get rebounds, uh, use his post moves to create space for his shots. And, uh, you know, and so he knows what he's doing. The only issue with Trey is is that he just needs to uh, be just a little bit more disciplined defensively to stay out of foul trouble. ISU did pull him after he picked up his first foul in the first minute of the game tonight, hoping to avoid the scenario that played out at Purdue where he picked up two early fouls and had a sit. And uh, he ended up only with two, so that's good for um, for Trey Williams. But uh, but some of the other guys, and, and it's understandable because some of them are young or new, are waiting to see and kind of not really sure what they're, what, what they're supposed to be doing at this point, how they fit in with everybody else on the floor. And I think that's evident where that what that means as far as the offense is concerned is you get a is you get guys standing around and that was the thing i noticed in the first half today is that it was just tough for isu to work its action because uh the movement wasn't very good now some early shots didn't fall and that probably got the team into a little bit of a shell which you can't do that but um you know i i'm not sure how you break the players out of that other than you play through it so um, but, you know, I, I saw some indecisiveness in the body language of the players uh, today. And that was on the offensive end. On the defensive end, I saw the same thing. And, um, you know, Greg told me after the game, it's quoted in my game story that I put on tripstar.com, you know, it wasn't just new players that were making defensive mistakes. It was some of the veterans. And um, that can't happen. I mean, ISU is... Uh, is a good team, but they're not going to be able to just sh- outscore teams this year. Um, not, not at least not teams of the caliber of St. Louis. So, um, so I do think that this trying to figure each other out thing certainly does relate to defense and where everybody's supposed to be on the floor. Um, however, there's some players out there who know better and just need to play better. So, um, so that was kind of the way I saw tonight's game. It'll be interesting to see um, how ISU handles this moving forward because nobody's going to feel sorry for them. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I kind of said that to Greg tonight. You know, it's like, you know, you, you don't have the, um, you, you can't turn the clock back and create time for these guys to uh, get used to each other the way you want. I mean, they're going to have to do it as the games keep coming. And so that's going to be an interesting task for the coaching staff to figure out how to get these guys all on the same page so every team is going through it um you know there's still teams like missouri state haven't even played a game yet so um 
it's going to be a difficult process for everybody. It's not perfect, but it is what it is. And um, Indiana State's going to have to figure out a way to um, find their way through this little patch um, so they can get their season where they want it to be. And, and let's be honest, I mean, the two games that Indiana State has lost, not to sound like a, um, you know, two glass half full, but, you know, these are t- two pretty good teams that um, Indiana State fell to. I mean, they were in the Purdue game, um, you know, up until about the two-minute mark on Saturday. Weren't in this game, but St. Louis certainly has NCAA tournament capability. So um, so we'll see what happens going forward. Um, you know, looking at some of the players, I think I did this last week. Um, you know, since last week's game, Trey Williams, he's been Apart from some foul troubles, been playing very well. I don't want to go over this too much because I've already talked about some of this. Cam Bacot has come back. Um, he didn't play last Tuesday since I last did the podcast. Uh, actually, was one of the first players off the bench today, but then only played a minute and a half, so didn't see much of Cam tonight. Um, Kobe Barnes didn't play last Tuesday, was held out as a precaution. Um, has kind of slipped into that... Uh, backup role to Jake LaRavia and uh, has played okay. Randy Miller Jr., the ISU needs more out of him. Um, after that 19-point game against Truman State, he scored one point since. So he's one of those guys who just kind of seems like he's still trying to find his way a little bit and is not trying to force anything. He hasn't had any bad turnovers or anything like that, but um, ISU needs him to get more assertive. Tobias Howard Jr., is the other way around. He's probably trying to force the issue at times a little bit too much. Although he was a little bit better tonight. He, he um, like I said, he had six points. Um, the only thing I could think of that he did in a negative way was he's trying to be a little bit too flashy, trying to get the ball into Trey Williams um, on kind of a flip pass, and it caught Trey off guard a bit, and he ended up uh, traveling on it. But, um, but if, you know, but Tobias was... I thought, actually, in many respects, he had his best game tonight. Um, Jared Hankins played a little bit tonight. I mentioned that already. Uh, Nongo now didn't have to play as many minutes tonight as he did against Purdue, but I actually like his effort. He didn't really do much uh, tonight against SLU, but um, I thought he gave some decent energy um, last Saturday in a pretty tough situation up at Purdue. Um, So looking ahead, um, ISU assuming there's no COVID pauses, uh, has two non-conference games left. Uh, Ball State, and both of them are home games. Ball State comes to Holman Center at 1 o'clock on Saturday. And this will be an interesting game because I think this is the game on the non-conference schedule that is probably the one that might be the most telling in terms of where the Sycamores may end up going. Uh, Ball State is a decent team. They're 3-2 and two so far. Um, they beat... Uh, Northern Illinois in a MAC game. Um, they also beat, I'm looking at the list here, uh, they beat Illinois Chicago by two in Muncie, and they beat Illinois State um, 82-66. That was their last game they played uh, this past Saturday. So they lost uh, pretty handily up at Michigan, and their other loss was to Northern Kentucky down uh, in the Cincinnati area by a point. So, um, but, you know, there's no freakish qualities to Ball State. I mean, you know, their best player uh, who's been around for a while, point guard Ishmael Alamine, 
a good point guard. That'll be a test for Julian Larry and the rest of the guards. Bracken Hazen uh, is their best post player at this point. But there's no, you know, the last two games for ISU, if I'm being fair, they had to figure out a way to stop, to, to play a front line at Purdue that you're never in a million years going to see in the Valley with a 7-foot center and 6'10 uh, power forward, among others. Um, just a big, much bigger team than ISU is used to playing. And then Indiana State is not going to see a team with the offensive capability of SLU in the Valley either. So this is more um, in their baseline of what they typically see, and it's a home game. And Ball State embarrassed ISU last year. Some of those players from that team are, are have moved on from Ball State. But um, it's an opportunity to kind of get back to what everybody expects ISU to be. So uh, in a home game, you, you hope that happens. After that, ISU plays uh, Southeast Missouri State next Tuesday. Um, SEMO has, they're two and three. Um, and kind of a weird... Uh, set of results for SEMO so far. Um, they're actually the first team to, they were the first team to lose to Evansville, which they did a few days ago, uh, but then they also took Southern Illinois to overtime, uh, Southern beat them, but um, in Cape Girardeau. So um, that's, a, that's a game you hope to win at home, and uh, it would be nice for ISU confidence to do that because they don't have much of a Christmas break this year. You know, we've gotten used to the fact that um, the team usually gets about a week before they start conference play. Not going to be the case this year. Um, ISU will play that game against SEMO on the 22nd, and then they will follow with Valley play on the 27th when they host Drake. So um, there's not going to be, and you know, I, I don't know how many players um, are going to be going home for Christmas. Probably not very many. Um, but you know, there's just that time, even with those five days, not all of that is going to be basketball focused. So, um, ISU is just going to have to figure out a way to fight their way through it. So real quickly looking around the Missouri Valley conference, um, obviously nobody's played any conference games yet. Um, the best record in the league right now belongs to Drake six and zero. Uh, their best win, I suppose, is at Kansas State, although K-State is not vintage K-State this year. Still a good win for Drake, not taking anything away from that. But apart from that, uh, frankly, it's been kind of some bad news around the league. The worst news uh, was uh, came to Northern Iowa two days ago. Uh, ben Jacobson told the local media up at uh, UNI that Preseason player of the year, A.J. Green, will be out for the season after he, uh, as he's going to have hip surgery. So that's really unfortunate, not only for the Panthers, but for the league. Uh, many thought you and I had a shot at um, an at-large tournament bid this year. Not going to happen. They're 1-4 right now. They lost their, really, their, their sun, moon, and stars. They base everything around A.J. Green. Handles the ball, does everything, shoots from everywhere. Uh, that's a tough loss for you and I. Jacobson's a good coach. He'll figure out a way to get them competitive, but, you know, they are not going to be the team that everybody thought they would be this year. Loyola is 3-1. and one. They had a chance to get the Valley a good win, but fell short up at Wisconsin tonight. Um, like I said, Missouri State hasn't even played, <laughs> so hard to gauge them. Southern Illinois is 3-0. Um, they did beat Murray State. That's a decent win for them. 
Bradley's four and two, Valpo's two and four, Illinois State is three and three, although um, the, the two out of those three wins, I believe, were non-Division one wins, and Chicago State is the other one, um, and Evansville is two and three. So if you're hoping the Valley's going to get multiple bids this year, not looking good for that right now. So uh, that's going to make conference play and the conference tournament obviously very important this year. So anyway, that's the way it is from over here in St. Louis. Uh, I appreciate your listening, and uh, we'll be doing this again after next Tuesday's game against SEMO.